Hey, my name is Connor Malley, and I'm the founder of SQR Squash Radio. And it turns out I'm a squashpreneur. What does that mean? Basically, an entrepreneur, but in the squash industry. I've founded Metro Squash in Chicago. I've been a teaching professional, tried out for Team USA, came nowhere close to making the team. But years later, I did find myself on the business side as director of Team USA. I've ran the US Open while working at US Squash for several years, done consulting for squash clubs and events, even court construction. The list goes on. These days, I'm still deeply involved in squash, especially with my new role with the PSA, the Pro Squash Tour, but trying to expand into other racket sports in lighting, court construction, and strategy. There's some exciting projects I'm working on, and I can't wait to share them. But in the meantime, we hope you're enjoying these squash-focused podcasts our team is helping to put out. We love doing them, and we hope you enjoy them too. What about this? This call is being recorded. Today's guest is Will Hopton, who got his professional career started in the sport of rackets, reaching world number two and claiming a world doubles championship too. But like many of us who love all racket sports, it wasn't long before squash, squash doubles, court tennis, and tennis all became part of his path on his career. These days, Will is the executive director of Squash on Fire in Washington, D.C., which is the first pay-as-you-go club in the United States, truly opening up the doors of squash to everyone. In this episode, we cover Will's background and how he found his way to his role at Squash on Fire. Then we talk about the variety of programming available at Squash on Fire and what the players at the club experience. Then we go through a high-level rundown about the upcoming PSA event at Squash on Fire. We also talk about the key partnerships that are forming in the DC area to help grow the sport, which is something every community might be able to consider with an eye towards growth. It was great to catch up with Will and hear how things are going at Squash on Fire these days, as it's not only a concept I believe in, I also had the pleasure of being a part of it a few years ago. Check out squashonfire.com for more information or check him out on any of the social medias, including YouTube for more videos. Quick thank you to our sponsor, ProSport LED, who actually has some very interesting developments going on. They are strengthening their partnerships within the racket sports world. They are partnering up with Padel Plus to bring Padel courts into the United States and the UK. And just like their LED lights, these are premium quality courts at great prices. What's also unique about Padel Plus is their canopy roof structure that has all of the great qualities of getting an outdoor playing experience, but you have the dependability, you can play your match regardless of rain or snow. So if you know of anyone interested in lights or Padel courts, please go ahead and put us in touch. Reach out to us at squashradio at gmail.com. That's squashradio at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in and we hope you enjoy the show. Hey, Squash fans, welcome back to another episode of Squash Radio. I'm your host, Connor O'Malley, and I'm delighted to have this guest on here today who I've known for quite a while now, and that is Will Hopton, who is the executive director of Squash on Fire. Welcome to the show. Connor, thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. And it's your birthday, no less. So uh, a big happy birthday to yourself, too. Yes, thank you so much. This is massive the highlight of the day. Nothing I'd rather be doing than spending my birthday talking to you. So well, thank you. Well, that's a huge honor. I'll take it as such. And um, for those who can't see right now, 
I'm actually wearing a uh, squash on fire hoodie. Yeah, no, I very much appreciate you being on brand and it's making me feel terrible that I'm not wearing squash and fire clothing, but you are repping the 2019 Men's World Team Championship hoodie. So thank you. It was one of those things that I remember you helped pick it out with me and I was buying it that day and I was like, I think I'm going to wear this a lot. And it's kind of my uniform these days. So for people on the podcast, it's going to be, if you see me wearing it, yes, I wear it a lot. So happy to represent yeah, no, thank you. We appreciate that. <laughs> and, you know, for, for a little bit of uh, background here, I also did work with a Squash and Fire myself for a period of time, and we didn't overlap, but there's a quick baton pass. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. No, well, I mean, one of the reasons why I started Squash and Fire was, you know, chatting to you about it, and that was coming towards the end of your time here and obviously led into to me starting. Yeah. Well, before you took the helm of uh, Squash on Fire, you had quite a rackets background. And I'd love to hear everywhere from, uh, if you can tell from the accent, he is not from the United States. In fact, he's over from England. And just give your rackets background. And I mean that because it's also, you were a champion within rackets. So let's let's hear the story. Yeah, sure. I'll try and keep this quick. we got to stick on the brand for the right racket sport. But anyway, no. So I Squash was definitely my first racket sport that my dad took me to play in London growing up as like a five or six year old and I played from then on and you know was also playing tennis and cricket and other a good English boy good good English boy exactly (laughs) and and then had the opportunity to play rackets for the first time when I was 13 Um, and certainly having had the experience of those other racket sports and made a little bit easier to take that up and it was something that I can remember the first time I played just really falling in love with it. So all through high school across the pond, was playing rackets, went to the University of Bristol, which is a couple of hours west of London and and played rackets there. And by the time I'd, I'd finished Bristol, I'd got to a pretty good level. I think when I graduated as a 21 year old, I was ranked number five in the world. So I'd been wow. able to sort of match my studying with playing and um and during that time i'd certainly been to america on a few occasions to play in some tournaments and started to get to know the scene and i'd spent one of my university summers in chicago uh, assisting john cashman at the racket club there so i kind of got to know the us pretty well and once i graduated i knew that playing sport and particularly rackets was probably going to be like a shorter term thing for me just in terms of being sort of a viable option and so i was kind of looking for a, a setup that would allow me to maximize in that sport and I worked as one of the pros at the Racket Club in Manchester in the north of England for a year. And then ultimately in 2012, moved to Chicago um, and spent four years on the team at the Racket Club there under John Cashman, which as well as Rackets branched into singles and double squash, which both at the club and also some court tennis as well. So well-rounded. Yeah, very well-rounded. But that was kind of the, 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 the sort of peak of my, of my sort of Rackets playing days. And I had a lot of battles with James Stout in various finals and um you know was pretty much always on the on the losing side there but you know was ranked number How two long in the world world number one well no no, lo- no longer world number one but he did oh. have a 13 year streak until he he sort of stepped back and retired from singles a couple of years ago but always the bridesmaid huh always yeah no there was a lot of that did manage to win the the world championship in doubles which was fantastic in 2013 um and then you know, won a, a couple of British Opens and the US Open. Um, so I had a really good streak and it was it was a ton of fun, but also it was an amazing experience to live in America and live in Chicago. And that eventually translated into me getting a green card, um, which is incredible in terms of employment opportunities in the US and ultimately led me to DC in 2016, 
and firstly to a job in lawn tennis um, at the Junior Tennis Champion Center in College Park, which some of the listeners may be familiar with the Francis Tiafo story, who's you know now being really successful on the ATP tour, and that's where he grew up. But aside from high-level play, does a lot of inner-city outreach on a, a very similar level to a lot of the SEA programs around the country. So it was super exciting to be involved in that, um, and was there for three and a half years alongside doing a master's program at, at Georgetown in sports industry management. So that kind of dovetailed really nicely, and then moved to Squash and Fire in the summer of 2019 so a little so, over two and a half years now yeah the, the full, full the full, well-rounded rackets full man. rackets but yeah i do i mean I, I do feel that like the one area that i'm confident about that i've like covered all these racket sports which is so cool and i mean yeah. i i genuinely really passionately feel about like i racket sports have given me so much that it's incredible to now be at squash and fire with the business model we have to be able to impart that passion on other, on other people and try and encourage them to get into something that's just added so much value to to my own life. So it, it's kind of come around full circle really nicely. And I'm, and I'm very lucky to be in the position that I am now, which is cool. Absolutely. And I'm a passionate rackets person myself and love the variety, but um, I, I do agree. And this was even prior to going to squash and fire business model even prior to my joining there, so this was when I was at U.S. Squash, and hearing that this family was looking to build this club and what they were looking to do, it really piqued my interest. And they did such a great job of building awareness prior to launch, which is something a lot of any projects, you you really want to make sure that you're investing in that uh, upfront awareness. But then to see what it's done for the community now that it is there. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the business model as a pay-as-you-go approach, which is very unique in the U.S., I think you've hit the nail on the head now with, with the sort of setup that the two of us can be walking down the M, down M Street just outside here in DC and, you know, walk in and play and there's no barrier to entry. There's no joining fee. It's just, hey, you know, there's a court available. You pay for that court time. You can rent equipment. It's kind of all there for people to try, which is incredible in terms of getting at least people to come and just have a taste of squash. And yeah you know, that that's been transformative for the DC community, which historically has not really been a hot bed for squash in the US, I would say that the cities a little further north have been. So in terms of getting a new audience into the sport, the the way in which we have things constructed here just makes it it's so accessible for people of any age, even if they have no prior experience to like come and, and give this wonderful game a go, which is is so exciting. And then obviously, the the biggest thing is, for me and the rest of our team here is can you make sure that as many people as possible have a really enjoyable experience so they keep coming back they keep telling their friends about it their other family members their colleagues because the way we see it at squash and fire is anybody who walks through the door like that's an opportunity to an instant introduction to a whole range of other people because everybody knows other people i mean some people have bigger networks than others but you really wanted to capitalize on your players because that's effectively like your best marketing tool like if people really get into what you're doing they're going to tell other people and it stems from there. And, and, and that's certainly how we've had a lot of success in different areas of the DC community. Like you said, making this accessible is is really, I think, an important mission and driver for, for Squash on Fire and, and helping to grow more squash players. One of the things that Squash on Fire sets itself apart is also in, in the facility itself. And it has eight squash courts in total, two of them being all glass and to use a white ball. And that is, I should know this stat and I don't, but in terms of how many clubs on the planet have that it's very small to have two all glass courts and also to have that kind of area where you can really 
the bar area and be able to socialize it. It's this very strong European feel, which makes sense because the family is from Europe and you can yep. see those influences. Um, but talk a little bit about what you notice on a, and it's tough during COVID, but on a day-to-day basis, what do you see happening at the club? Yeah, no, I think that's a really good question. And um, the points you raised there totally make sense because it, it we are trying to generate like this kind of all-in community experience where you're bringing the whole family or you're bringing a group of friends and it's not just about the squash side. It's also that socializing aspect for those of you who haven't been to squash and fire, you know, please do come soon. But the bar is, is right next to one of the glass courts. And, you know, it's the full on integrated experience whereby, you know, you come off the courts and you can, you're, you're, you're right into that bar area. You know, that's a place to hang out with your opponent or, you know, you have another group of friends who come by for a drink or to have something to eat. And we're really trying to sort of to foster that sense of it's not just a place you go for your workout like you, you would to the gym or you go spinning or do a core workout or whatever your workout of choice is. It's a bigger expansion of that. And we have people who are coming in here to, you know, they have their laptop out and they're doing work here or they're taking calls here or their kids doing their homework. And it's it's kind of an extension of people's daily routines, which obviously squash is a key focal point of, but it's trying to be a lot more than that. And that also extends into, you know, people hosting birthday parties here or bat mitzvahs or, you know, rehearsal dinners. And that's something that we're lucky to be able to do and have the facilities and bandwidth, but it's all great for just growing that engagement and knowledge about squash in the DC area, which is very cool. Well, and one of the other things being a passionate squash player, and I have to say this is kind of unique that when you walk in a facility eight times, nine times out of 10, what you're also going to see is on this massive wall, a like 12 foot by 12 foot screen playing live squash or PSA squash matches. And it's yeah. such a great feel to be able to have that. Like, that's pretty unique. I don't know other clubs that have that massive Yeah, well, Yeah, we're lucky to have such a big screen. But yes, every time there's a, certainly when squash TV is covering an event, we will have it up on on there. So we we use our subscription very well for Squash TV. I think <laughs> I I would be impressed if there's a Squash TV subscriber out there who who views more content than Squash and Fire does. <laughs> there, there are some people who just uh, I've I've gotten to hear a few of them. Who, they just leave it on, you know, when they're doing work in the background. Yeah, so it's exciting to hear that. Before we go on too further, I'd love to take a little rewind and talk about even the inspiration behind creating Squash on Fire. Yeah, and, definitely. And tell the Genesis story of how that came about. Yeah, sure. No, I, and I, I, this is, is so fascinating. And um, so Squash and Fire was created by the Lanier family who have been in D.C. a long time, since the early 80s. But originally from Europe, as you've already mentioned, Anthony is from Austria and Isabel is Portuguese. Um, but they moved to D.C. with their young family, I think actually in 1980. And I've had a lot of success in D.C., real estate and they own a lot of the commercial storefront in Georgetown which is just down the street from us as well as a lot of residential apartment projects too and that's extended as kind of a secondary thing which is more laterally into a technology firm as well that has a big office in DC but also has offices in Europe particularly in Lisbon so they've had some big business successes and completely away from the squash world but uh, their youngest daughter Camille ended up as a junior getting very into squash and being a very good player and I think yeah she was top ranked in the US yeah and yeah so he's certainly like a, a really strong US junior and I think Isabel her mother was often you know sort of driving her to Baltimore after school every day and it seemed pretty ridiculous that like to get good competition like there wasn't access in DC or they're going out to Virginia somewhere and Camille then went on to play collegiately at Penn which 
a very, you know, very strong program and, you know, had some success there, which is great. But I think that the sort of traveling to play in junior U.S. squash tournaments domestically and then also going, you know, overseas a little bit with Camille sort of really opened their eyes to this this squash world, especially in America. And I think Anthony being a very creative, forerunning businessman, you know, it just sort of piqued his interest as something that like, hey, I'm seeing a lot of this. And I just feel it could be done in a different way. And obviously the success he's had in, a, in other fields, but just a challenge that for whatever reason, he really decided he wanted to embrace and take on. And, and I think the squash and fire, the, the building that I'm sitting in now, like that came about through a real estate project. So through something that, you know, he was involved in. And for those of you who've been to squash and fire, we are directly above a firehouse. The first two floors of the building are the firehouse and the refurbishment of that. This is going back about five or six years now to sort of 2016, 2017 was something that Anthony was involved in from a real estate side. And then above Squash and Fire, five stories of apartment buildings. And so we kind of ended up being the meat in the sandwich, so to speak. The, The third and fourth floors became the Squash Club of this hybrid project, which was, there's a lot of, um, sort of city public interest in this because the firehouse is clearly like a, a public service and then actually the five stories of uh, affordable housing that's above where i'm sitting at the moment is that's run by the city too in fact you've got a key public service in the firehouse you've got a squash club serving the community pay and play as you've already talked about and then you've got affordable housing above us so it's really kind of a, a three-strand building that's offering a lot to the local community here which is incredible and and that's amazing that squash ended up being a part of that but it has and it's it's a facility like you've seen a lot of squash clubs all over the US and all over the world and so have I but squash and five is pretty unique in terms of a setup and and the space and just the way everything's designed and then it's incredible that it all came together and actually like an idea became reality and it's a real thing and it's been going on in this space since May of 2017 so coming up for our fifth birthday in a couple of months. To build on the uniqueness of the venue, I have been in a lot of venues, and one could say I'm biased uh, a little bit about this, but I, I really just think it's a very cool club. Like you walk in and you can see that this is, if you've never seen a squash venue, you'd be impressed and you're like, this is, oh, great. This is like a, a boutique sports environment. I get that. I get that. Versus where else are we doing that? And I hope that this template gets used a little bit more of how we can do different club presentations to to help squash grow. And But along those lines, one question we hear a lot is, how does the business model work? How can you actually make money doing this if you don't have the the membership model? Or is that enough players? Like These are sort of the questions that get asked. And I was wondering if you could touch on that. And I mean, of course, like at the end of the day with, with any business, like it really does come back to the the nuts and bolts of your PL and really looking at how you can, you know, how something can can prosper. And I think the squash and fire model in terms of actual revenue coming in, like it it's all derived through usage, right? Because as we've talked about, like there's no if you're running a club with members, you know you have that guaranteed revenue like each month or each quarter, however you're you're charging your members and, and we don't. So there's that constant pressure and need to, you know, keep things busy and you can't really have lulls and it, like the squash season like it can't really exist in the same way here oh it's fine if no right. one plays yeah in it's, summer, just, like, it's yeah. just a summer no big deal no big deal like yeah that that's not a thing at squash and fire like you, you got to keep the the sort of the foot down the whole time so certainly a challenging business model and that's why we are constantly striving for all these different areas to to keep pushing things and whether that's adding more local high school programming whether that's adding more competitive squash for advanced players whether that's expanding our junior programming but really we're trying to maximize 
our courts being filled. And as you've re just referred to, we have eight courts. Sometimes that's nowhere near enough and we, we would need more. And then obviously there are times in the day where, where it's quieter, but we're trying to do something that's very ambitious. But we're, the great thing is we've got to this point where we're succeeding. Like the, you know, the, the operation is breaking even, which is fantastic. And that's been a, a long road to get there. And certainly the, the challenges of the pandemic probably sort of set that back a little bit. Um, but getting to the back end of 2021, it was so exciting to be there and going into 2022, you know, wider situation dependent, hopefully that's a trajectory we can continue on. But I do think what it's been really great that obviously for me being involved the last two and a half years or so, I've had plenty of opportunities to discuss this with other people. And I think it's that concept of, you know, thinking about what's the best way to set up a squash club and Squash and Fire has gone to a particular extreme and that's amazing that it's done that. But having that sort of hybrid context where you have maybe members or so, sort of a loyalty program and then also it being fully accessible as like a pay and play model, which we do have to some extent because you can buy packages of credits. So you can get a discount if you want to play a lot or you want to take a lot of lessons or a lot of clinics or something. But I think the sort of the idea of having your space open to as wide an audience as possible for squash in the United States is just so important. And, I, you know, I, I really hope that that's something that we continue to see more of around America going forward from here. Yeah, I think that's something you would see a lot more uh, commonplace in, in Europe. And I, I think that hybrid model is really interesting for people to, to explore just because you, you want to get them exposed to your club and your culture and have a sense versus committing to a full on membership. And so I, I do think there's options for people to explore who are building new facilities. One of the things, and I, and I felt this when I was uh, part of the team at, at Squash on Fire, is we were very focused on delivering great experiences and great value. And I know I'm a little bit uh, timestamped from when I was there, but what's an example of kind of the programs that you guys are rolling out that you just think really emphasize uh, great experiences and great value for your um I can't say members. What is it? You're no, no. That's it's, it's actually always it's the really good point, and I, I will also get back to your question. But you, yeah, we're we also like players a lot. Users, players. okay, yeah. yeah. But then it's also like, should we call it a club? Should we call it <laughs> because a club obviously comes with certain right. connotations about oh, you have to join something. But then if you call it a facility, that doesn't sound very welcoming. So yeah, yeah. it's also yeah, it's a little bit of a sort of what should we really refer to ourselves as? But jumping back to our programming the thing that we're most proud of especially recently is our junior academy program which is sort of filtered from when i started we had one group of junior kids all coming as like on a saturday to play and then they might be taking a lesson at some other time during the week and that's now expanded into a, a five group program with different groups coming every single day throughout the week depending on your sort of your level, how many private lessons you might take alongside that. But what has been so fantastic about that is the sort of camaraderie between the kids and them interacting and playing with each other, but then also just becoming friends like off the squash court and using our space. Like you see like, oh, this is like a little study group doing homework before squash training, or they're like having a smoothie together. And we're lucky that our space can provide that. But squash has been the sort of unifying factor to bring these kids together because it's something that they've got into and then they're coming to squash and fire to experience that but it's not just oh I'm going on court and doing that but it's also that I have the opportunity to enjoy the space maybe my parents have got into playing squash because I have 
now I've got my sort of squash friends and that is, is really wonderful to see and, and we really enjoy that. And then I think it's really worth mentioning at the other end of the spectrum, like our adult programming and some of the things that have just been so fantastic is, you know, we're running seasonal ladders at Squash and Fire, which we definitely don't follow the rules of a normal ladder at all. But we our fall ladder, I think we had about 75 participants who played 800 plus matches over oh, the wow. course of the fall season. And it's just so great to have, you know, we're having weekly ladder nights, just trying to get like mass participation and, and excitement in just doing something together, facilitating, bringing people together, using the assets of our space and just giving people, sure, a fun experience on the court. And it's great to have competitive and well-balanced matches, but just, you know, embracing the squash community. And I mean, you appreciate this better than anybody like the people that you meet through squash are usually just you know some of your best friends they're really great yeah. but you know us trying to foster that within our own little neck of the woods down here in dc and um, it's so fun to see that and certainly we're lucky with the assets we have in terms of our facility and the beautiful courts and the bar but just seeing people sort of come together through squash is really special and it's something that i you know it makes me smile more than anything that goes on here when you when you see that happening which is really fun I appreciate you spelling out kind of the range of programming there. And would you mind giving a sense of what sort of if the, the various price points of packages of people? Yeah. So people get a sense of the range of no, opportunity. Yeah, you know, definitely. So let's start at the very basic in terms of, okay, you just want to come and play squash. And so that's what we would call a play session we have, which we might get into a little bit later, our own booking technology, which all court reservations are through. But in terms of pricing, we have um, a sliding scale of pricing depending on the time of the day or the day of the week. And this pricing could be split between two players. So if you're, the two of us are playing, we're going to either pay $20, so $10 each, $30, $15 each, or $40, $20 each. So that's the court pricing. And then going from there, we have round robin evenings, which are $30 each per player, 90 minutes. You have a coach there mixing and matching people based upon levels. We have clinics, which as a standalone $47 each, you can do like series, like a three-week series or a six-week series. So that would be a slightly discounted rate and probably like 10, 15% off the that 47 bucks. With our uh, lesson pricing, again, the sort of same setup as clinics. So depending on the tier of coach, the price point is ranging from 100 to up to, if you want to play with Ronnie Vlasics, you're looking at like 200 bucks for a session. But on all of the, the coach levels, we have discounted player um, discounted lesson packages, excuse me. And um, you get a bigger discount for buying a 10 pack versus a five pack. And you get a bigger discount for a 20 pack versus a 10 pack. That's really the only with those credit packages that we offer the sort of membership loyalty aspect. I think it's something that on the horizon for Squash and Fire, we maybe like to extend a little bit further, whether it's booking priority for those people, they get to book court sooner. They get maybe priority at certain times of day. I think it's it's all stuff for us to think about, but at the same time, always trying to guard against we don't want to be that membership model. So yeah, you know it's it's a it's sort of it's sort of a fine line because clearly you rely on your your core users a lot because those are the ones who are spending the most money with you, right? And, yeah, and so, and so you need them for your business model and you want to look after them, but you don't want them to get in the way of what we've been talking about before, like getting all these new people into the sport. And so you you're you're always kind of you know, trying to work the the best way to navigate all of that, and um, which I think we're doing pretty well so far, but it's definitely constantly a challenge. And the more that we grow, 
unless we're suddenly going to add new courts, which we definitely don't have any space for, the, the more, the more, the more Cut that's going to be, you know? yeah, exactly. Yeah, we might have some mini squash going on over here, but um, yeah, it's a really sort of fascinating thing to, to keep thinking about. And I guess it's one of the reasons why obviously uh, to a certain kind of person, but it's a really appealing place to work in because it's just a constant challenge to keep problem solving and like, you know, how can we keep moving forward? And you can never really sort of sit back and rest on your laurels. And it's never, it's never the same because yeah. the, the goalposts are constantly shifting. So that definitely makes it an exciting environment, a challenging one, sure. But if you're motivated by challenges, which usually I am most days, then it's a pretty exciting space to work in. And I think depending on who the individual is, that can either be sounding like a, a, a lot of money or actually a really good value. And one of the things I think an individual needs to factor over that, and I've I've been victim of this, and I should use a better word than victim. Uh, I've succumbed to this of where I joined a a club and I was paying that X hundred of dollars per month and I wasn't using it, right? Versus being able to have the on-demand choice of when I want to use that club. It just actually works really well with me and it sounds like it's working really well with a lot of players and it gives you that flexibility to kind of pick and choose how you want to engage with the club. That is definitely right. I mean, the way we have things set up, you can use it very, very occasionally, and that's great. And you can use it every single day, and that's that's also possible too. So, you know, it, it, trying to cater for the widest possible spectrum, which of course is potentially difficult at times, but the the whole premise of squash and fire is to be as inclusive as possible. So that's something we're we're constantly trying to problem solve around and make sure we're succeeding in that department. We're going to take a quick break to hear a word about our sponsor. So how are your squash courts looking these days? Are the ball marks starting to add up? Do your courts need some attention and care? Well, in the US, there's a new solution coming your way. Pro Sport Court can be your one-stop shop for all your court care needs, from standard cleaning, painting, floor sanding, all the way up to lighting upgrades. Pro Sport Court can have your courts looking like new. Reach out to squashradio at gmail.com to learn more. Now back to our show. I'm still on the, the email distribution list. And uh, can you quickly say how many people are part of your database? Yeah, no, we're doing, the email distribution list is about, we're about 11,000 on there. Oh my so gosh. Yeah, and we have in our booking system, I think we have about a little over 8,000 people who actually have an account with us. Now, that doesn't mean they're all playing squash like each week, but that's actually a really good indicator of the potential reach we can have as a, a squash entity, which... Clearly, like it's not a fair comparison with a private club because, of course, they're going to be limited by their membership. But the boundaries just expand so much with what we're trying to do. So, our, you know, just as you referenced, like our squash communications can reach like a really wide audience because that's what we're sort of setting out to do, which is really cool because it means that spreading the good word about squash, you can just get to a bigger audience, which is really nice. One of the things that has made it challenging for all walks of life is actually coming together for the events that we love to do. And that was one of a, a core competency that Squash and Fire has done, especially for uh, the D.C. area, is, high, is bringing major events, both from the world stage and national stage, to D.C. And you guys, we've had a, the background of hosting the nationals, the world team champs, where you, you took uh, the torch. Um, yeah, the world, world team champs is a bit of a baptism by fire for me, but it was a, it was a great event. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but now you have some. Um, PSA events coming on. And just this past July, you hosted a uh, 20K for the men and women, which is great that you're showcasing both men and women at the same time. I think it just really 
um, highlights the sport in such a great way. And but you have a, an event coming up again with the 50k level. So how have the PSA events been received by the community? Really excited to have professional squash in DC. And you already mentioned the the men's world teams, which was kind of the first time that squash and fire in our DC community had really high level squash. And I think on the back of that, we were very eager to keep that sort of chain of communication open with the PSA team and, and see what the possibilities were. The pandemic somewhat got in the way of that, but we were able to sort of put together something last summer that you just referenced with our 20k event, which was our first squash and fire open, which actually ended up being the first international tournament in the US post pandemic, which is really exciting. You know, we had people coming in from different places around the world. And a lot of them then went on to Chicago a week or two later to play the world championships last summer, and was extremely well received by the local community, both in terms of you know, having some some local companies come in and, and, and sponsor the event, but also just the people coming to buy tickets and watch and support the players and get invested and involved in the matches. And you, and you do have to remember that a lot of people at Squash and Fire, this is the only place they've ever had exposure to squash at. Yeah. So it's a sort of another interesting challenge to try and sell the wider picture of squash and like, what's the pro tour about? And like, who, right, are, these, right. who are these players? And when you're you know invested in the game like the two of us are like you you know like who these names are and how great it is to have them but trying to explain like what a big deal it is to have these players coming to squash and fire is actually a really interesting thing because they just haven't had previous exposure to it so as you just referenced coming up february 16th the 20th we have a world tour event now so a 50k bronze event both men and women i don't think we would ever do anything without it being a co-ed event i think that wouldn't really fit with the squash and fire model to to sort of showcase one over the other. So having them a joint event is really important to us to do. And, you know, the level of field that we have coming in a few weeks is is really spectacular. And obviously it's a lot of work to put on an event like that, but the engagement and interest and enthusiasm from our community last summer was amazing. And I I only think it's going to be increased for what we have coming up in a few weeks time. And uh, yeah, we're, we're really pumped to get the show on the road and, and, and have the, the guys and girls here playing some great squash. So speaking of which, I was really impressed with the caliber of players we, we have signed up and was going to spend a little bit of time uh, quickly talking about some players to watch. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, to have, we'll start off with the women. To have the world number one coming to any event, it's, it's remarkable, right? Yeah, I mean... I was obviously following the entry list pretty closely, like as we were leading up to the deadline a couple of weeks ago. And when I saw Noel Shabini on there, I was like, how is this happening? Like, this is so cool. And I think we've somewhat benefited from normally Noel would play in New York at the TOC and then probably next be back on tour for the Windy City Open. And with TOC being pushed back until the spring, kind of created a longer gap in the schedule than normally would be around this time of year. So our timing works well and that Chicago follows with the Windy City Open the next week. And I think, um, you know, that provides a good opportunity for players like Noah to get back on the tour and get back into competitive action. And we're so excited that she's chosen to to play at Squash on Fire and, um, you know, really looking forward to having her leading the women's field next month. And it's one of those things I think we kind of take for granted because she has been world number one for so long that she's won. I'm, I'm going off the top of my head, so I may get this wrong, but I think it's five world championships. That's uh, what I've been. That's what I've been writing down. So I think you're right. Yeah, oh, that- five <laughs> world champion. Yeah, Thank you. I, che- I definitely checked it. I think. Okay, yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she's still so young. Like, yeah. 
I know. It's just a scenic career in the making. Well, and some other notes here is just highlighting some Americans that are playing. Olivia Fichter and uh, Sabrina Sobe both will be making another appearance. And for context, uh, for those who might not be as familiar, for the first time in uh, history in the United States, we've had four U.S. players in the top 20 on the women's side which is just really remarkable. And it's we're having a great high caliber women coming there, which actually on paper puts the Americans number two from a team perspective behind Egypt. So yeah, it, that is, I mean, honestly, that is just, it's so cool for squash in America. Like the fact that Olivia and Sabrina are alongside Amanda and Olivia number two, like that's just amazing that there's four women are playing this caliber squash in the US. And I think it's so inspirational for especially junior girls to see these ladies playing and um, but I I, mean, I think all of them have the potential to go even even further than they they are now which I think we're all as fans of squash in America like really excited to see and as you just referenced Olivia and um, Sabrina will be here at squash and fire and um, they were both with us last summer and a lot of people here really enjoyed watching them play they both made the semis of our of our challenger event last summer so hopefully one of them or both of them can have a really good run and um, you know they'll definitely get a lot of support from the DC crowd which is great. Well, speaking of the DC crowd, there's also uh, Squash and Fire has been a great training ground for multiple reasons because of the glass court, the community, the head coach, uh, Ronnie. But there are also some some people who've come back through. So who are some of the other fan favorites who have come through before that pay attention to? Yeah, well, I think our sort of number one fan favorite who this is going to be his third visit to Squash and Fire is, is James Willstrop. He was here in 2019 for the men's world teams and, and England finished second behind Egypt. And then he was our top seed last year for the inaugural squash and fire open, as we just referenced the challenger 20 K and he made the, made the final and lost very good match to, to Victor Cruon from France, who's currently sort of lighting it up for Harvard this season. But James, who knows, but I think we'd probably all expect him to be getting towards the, the, the sort of tail end of his career. And the fact that, his game style and the way he plays it's it's pretty special and unique and for squash and fire and dc fans to this is going to be the third time that james has played here is pretty cool given how new we are to the scene and he definitely has attracted like a good following from people here and i i know in the lead up to the tournament everybody's like asking me like is james gonna enter is james coming oh great and we were we were james and i were exchanged some whatsapps before he was on the entry list and i was like you know no pressure james that everyone in dc wants to yeah, see you back yeah. so very excited that he he's returning and um, and he's definitely got a little bit of a local following here which is really cool um, and so excited to see him back on court and then i think on the on the women's side um the Gillis sisters both nella and tina like nella won the squash and fire open last year but they have a, a big connection to squash and fire through ronnie you know, they're both the sisters from Belgium, as is Ronnie, and he had a big part of their development as, as squash players. And I think also as individuals, like when they were growing up in Belgium um, and still, especially with Tina, but, you know, also to some extent with Nella too, you know, involved in their progression as they got to the level they have on the tour now. And they've both been in the top 20. I think at the moment, Nella's at 14 and, and Tina's just outside that 23. She had a couple of injuries latterly, but they're both on the entry list. They could play in the second round oh is that right which yeah. so if tina wins her first match they will, we could have a gillis sisters battle which i know they've played once in the british open i think but they haven't had that many meetings on the tour so 
That would be very interesting to see. They've both, especially Tina, have spent some time sort of training here when they've been in the US at other times. So the squash and fire community's got to know both of them pretty well. So if we do end up having a an all-sister battle, that's going to be very eagerly anticipated. Um, so let's see what happens. I like it. Well, go, going over quickly to the men's side, you talked about James Wilstrap, who yep. really, I mean, he's a legend in the game. And if for those who don't know this, he's also an actor and a, and a writer. So he's written, I think this is his third book, and he writes um, columns. So he's a pretty dynamic character off court as well with the written word. So, but you have Muhammad El Shabagi, again, hard to discount, a, war, a former world number one. And he actually just got back to the, the number one ranking this past July in Chicago. So, really interesting player there but who else in the field kind of stands out for you are you excited yeah, to see no well and i think this also goes to um so joel macon is the second seed from wales current world number eight and he was also here back in 2019 for the welsh team in the men's world playing in men's world team championship and they ended up playing egypt in the semis and he played his match was against Tarek moman which he won Three two came back from some big deficit oh in the gosh. fifth, and and Joel Macon's effort levels, crazy dives around the court, just doesn't give up on a single ball. Like very inspiring to see, and and I think of the the matches from that event. That's the one that people still talk about. And remember. Talk, yeah, like, I think that, yeah, that was like the one that really stands out. And so certainly seeing Joel, you know, in the draw and coming back to DC. He, he definitely got himself a good reputation here for his incredible effort levels then. And, and I mean, I guess since 2019, he's only got better. And we're really excited to have him back. And um, I'm sure he's going to be a, you know, he's a, he's a big threat to win the tournament, I would say. Yeah, I mean, his physicality on court and it's all of these athletes on both sides of men and women is just, they're just phenomenal athletes. But so to then say Joel and, you know, almost in the, akin to Paul Cole, who are just phenomenal, like trained like madmen. It's like unbelievable yeah. to have that distinction. And and he's he's very exciting to watch. So definitely look out for that. Um, a little bit. We do also have some uh, American flavor uh, with yep. uh, Shahajan Khan and Todd Harity, who are uh, both ranked. They're they're in this grouping. They're both thirty four and thirty five in the world right yep. now, which is world rankings highs for them. So again, that'll be really exciting to support them. They'll both be opening day action on the glass. Um, excited to get behind them. Uh, Todd played on the US team two and a half years ago. And then Shahjan was here back in the summer for the Squash and Fire Open. So there's both of their, they've both played here before. We're really excited to see them on the court. And they'll also, just like with Olivia and Sabrina, have the the home crowd behind them. So fingers crossed they can um, they can make some waves. Well, that's exciting. And, and one of the things going on, which I love that the DC community is embracing this and you guys are helping to lead it, but you guys are doing a little bit unique with the pre-qualifier event. Yeah, well, yes. <laughs> This wanted to be clear that this is a wild card challenge because there's no qualifiers anymore on the PSA right. tour. Thank but, you. Yeah. but yeah, but one of the things that for you know us in DC, um, and this is a slight sidetrack, but we're definitely trying to get involved in other squash clubs and facilities in the area. And we now have partnerships with both the university club and the St. James. We started with the university club middle of last year, the St. James actually very recently this year. And you know, one of the things that certainly in both locations we'd really like to try and sort of help facilitate is those locations seeing some high level squash and as hosts of the squash and fire open we have in both the men's and women's draws two wild cards and so we kind of thought about this a little bit and would like to create an opportunity for one 
some of these really great players to earn themselves a spot in the draw, but also, too, to showcase some squash for other facilities in the area. So the weekend prior to the Squash and Fire Open, which is February 12th and 13th, we have this wildcard challenge event, a men's and women's draw that's going to be happening, the university club. Winner of each draw gets a spot in the main event itself, and but also the exposure of this high-level professional squash filters over to another location, which is great for spreading the word about this event. It helps generate local excitement for people to actually come along to the main draw because they sort of see a couple of matches in the wildcard challenge and they're like, oh, this is great. Like, I'm going to come and watch the the real tournament in a few days time. So we're excited to see how that goes. You know, hopefully it's it's a really sort of positive and fun experience all around. There's some really great players entered to, to try and win that spot. I mean, we've got a bunch of players who are in the top 100 in the world participating. So it's going to be great level. Um, and yeah, there's obviously a cool prize on the line, getting getting a spot in the, in the main draw if you can pull off the win. I think providing those kind of opportunities is a win-win-win for so many reasons. And so I, I applaud that approaching it. And I, w- I would encourage more events to really consider this of how to get the community engaged. And I think it's meaningful, like you just pointed out, for the partners involved in different areas to to get exposure to it. But for these players, it's really meaningful. Like to get into this kind of level of event can really help propel their rankings. So there's a lot on the line for these players with a lot of meaning. Totally. And I mean, fingers crossed it ends up being a really positive sort of event for everybody to start off the tournament. Well, I did want to, before we close out, spend a little bit of time of actually going in a little bit more detail about these new partnerships you have, because I think it's it's really great to just show when a community can start working together, just where it can actually go. So as you mentioned, you have two partnerships with University Club of DC and the St. James, and powering that is a little bit of the technology. So w- w- why don't you talk in how those partnerships came about? And I think, honestly, both of them have some genesis in the the circumstances we've all been going through in the last couple of years with COVID. And at the end of the day, squash as a game, especially with the squash and fire business model that we've already touched on, like we're trying to grow it and engage the community and get more people involved. And the university club to start there has been without a, a pro, without a coach for a while, certainly since just prior to the pandemic. And that's obviously not probably been great for squash programming over there. It's six blocks walk from here it's effectively just down the street and a lot of university club members do play at squash and fire and we've built up some good relationships with them and it's a it seems to be a really good win-win situation in terms of us providing some coaching resources from our team to go and implement clinics and teach them lessons and run some round robins or internal tournaments down there and kind of help regenerate some squash activity in the club like they have a long established squash history over there and it's just you know it's kind of been a really nice thing for us to be partnering on to get things back up up and running because like a lot of clubs like it's been it's been a difficult period and and we're doing three days a week of programming over there and since we started which is probably seven or eight months ago now the trajectory has been really encouraging and um Obviously, we have the event that we just talked about happening there in a, in a couple of weeks' time, the wildcard challenge. And so the trajectory is really great. We had uh, Lucy Beecroft and Annette Makavika, who are both top 60, top 70 players on the PSA Tour, did an exhibition there in October, which was really well attended. So that was great. So, you know, we've hopefully done some good things with sort of getting squash back on the map at the university club. And then the St. James has, 
actually really just started in the sort of first part of 2022 here, which is really exciting. And I think something that kind of speaks more to the sort of hybrid model that we talked about a little bit earlier, whereby the St. James is a big multi-sports complex out in Springfield in Virginia, about 25 minutes from downtown DC. They have a multitude of sports, as I just said, including eight fantastic squash courts. And um, again, they they have really not had coaching resources available the last couple of years. And we've been able to sort of figure out a partnership whereby they're going to use the technology that we use at Squash and Fire, the Advantage Booking System, which is incredibly interactive, user-friendly. I mean, in theory, it's a little bit like it's like ordering an Uber. Like you've got things that like a click of a button, like either on your phone or computer, lessons, play sessions, clinics, round robins, internal tournaments, whatever you're trying to sign up for. You have a credit card loaded into your profile and then you're just clicking and selecting your menu offerings. It's like, you know, ordering dinner from Uber Eats or something like that. Right. And that's been put in there, which is great in conjunction with administrative support off court and then obviously on court resources as well. And it's going to be very interesting to see the traction we can get there, but also just, you know, the fact that it gives more meaning to DC squash as a sort of more of a community in terms of, yes, okay, very actively squash and fire and the St. James are partnering up. We want to encourage people to play squash in both locations. It's not setting us up as like, you know, we're not trying to compete with each other. We just want as many people as possible to embrace playing the sport. And it actually now happens that there's eight courts out in Virginia and eight courts here in DC. And um, I think that's hopefully only a good thing for the local squash community. So, you know, we're really excited about these opportunities. And hopefully with the St. James, as we go through the course of 2022, that's going to you know be some really positive news coming out of that new relationship. For me, looking at an aim towards growth and where can we be in 10 years, these kind of partnerships and working arrangements, I think are going to be key ingredients to success. And here's why. It's actually right now a challenge to find talent like coaches, help them get employed, whether it's with visa status or all this stuff, train them to make sure they're great, and then put them out there. And so for any one club going through that, that can be a challenge to find. So here to work with a partner like Squash on Fire to help provide that and extend the services makes a lot of sense. And like you said, I I think when people start considering this as competition versus how do we grow the sport, that's where we're only going to be shooting ourselves in the foot. So yeah. I think that's the, yeah. the right approach. No, um, I, I, I love that. And, and hopefully that's really, that ends up being how these really develop and materialize. Quickly speaking, though, we've mentioned the St. James and some might not be as familiar with what the St. James is. So yeah. this unto itself is a pretty, uh, talking about business models, a, a pretty unique one. And it's been a minute since I've had to say it, so I'd love uh, maybe you can share first. I guess the St. James is not too dissimilar to trying to set up the squash and a fire kind of business model, but with multiple sports all at once. And the St. James complex out in Virginia here, like you walk in there and you've never seen anything like it. Like yeah. you've, it's just how how big it, is it? I'm terrible at like scale, but it's I don't, I'm trying to think how many football fields you could fit inside <laughs> St. James. Like it's, it's massive. And, but you've got like this hockey ring, lacrosse field, you've got indoor football going on. You've got a huge swimming pool, massive gyms, gym areas, workout rooms, studios. You've got this squash setup. This, but the squash courts are right next to like this golf setup where you've got all these incredible simulators. It's just like sporting heaven. I mean, it's, it's as big as a full-size shopping mall. Yeah, that's, that's good. Yes, yes. Right. And you can go in and 
they offer the, the number of sports they offer is off the charts. And I was so excited to see that they included squash because that would have yeah. just as easily maybe not been included that we don't have this opportunity. So from what I learned, it was very much them doing their own research on the demographics. And would this be a good fit that they sought it out themselves? So that's great to have. That is exactly right. And I think the you know, this location in Springfield and Virginia is the first, but they're very advanced plans for a Chicago location, um, which is also going to include squash. And then also for a Reston location, which is in Virginia as well. So the fact that this is, as you just said, something squash is a part of is a really fantastic opportunity to work alongside all these other sports. Because the thing that I'm most excited about at St. James is that there are so many kids, parents, just, you know, they're all going in there where it's for lacrosse or for hockey, swimming, and for, you know, us to be like, hey, you know, you can come check this out as well and getting more people to see squash and have a little bit of exposure to it. And even if it's just trying it for 10 minutes, they at least know what it is and they can tell somebody else that they've played squash and, you know, just a tiny little piece and kind of growing the game that is, is vital for the future of, of squash in the U.S. Well, it's it's hard to kind of top that, what you just said. And before I close out, is there anything else you want to add on into, uh, in terms of everything that we've talked about today or what, what listeners can uh, look out for? Well, I, I think I could, I mean, we've heard enough of my silly English accent, but you know, I obviously would love, <laughs> love to see, love to see any, any listeners at the squash and fire open in three weeks. That would be fantastic. And then the great thing is if you're ever in the DC area, you, you know, you don't have to get some letter of introduction to come play or anything right, like that. Right. Just squash and fire. Sign up online. Yeah. Sign, exactly. Squashandfire.com and you can do anything. And um, so, yeah. yeah, if you haven't checked us out yet and you, you end up in the DC area and, um, you know, come and play squash here, we'd love to have you. And, um, you know, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a cool place to, to play the sport at. Highly encourage it. And no excuse really, even if you are, let's say injured, that you can at least go have a, a coffee or a beer or wine. Uh, courtside and enjoy the matches there and it is a, is a definitely a must-see facility worldwide so and also those who can't uh, go see the the matches lives themselves it will be streaming so yeah it's on it it's on it's on squash tv yeah and mm-hmm. um, so we are excited to have the opportunity for people to see it in a wider context if you can't come in person for sure great well you guys have uh squash and fires created quite the spark and you can see it already taking off in the DC area. I'm excited to see where the where this goes. Yeah, no, thank you. And I really appreciate you having me on, Connor. The, the highlight of the birth, my birthday today. <laughs> for sure. I'll take that. All right. Thanks, Will. Cheers. Well, thank you so much for your time today and for joining us on Squash Radio. We hope you enjoyed this latest episode. But before you leave, we just have one quick last message. As you know, Squash Radio wants to help tell some of the best stories from Squash World. But in order to do that, we want and welcome your help. Do you know a person or a story that involves squash that is interesting, funny, moved you, you care about, reflects your passion for the sport? Well, share it with us and let's try and get it out there on the air. You can email me at squashradio at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. Again, thanks for your time and... Well, until next time, be well and have fun.